you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. And we're going to begin um, in Acts chapter 11 is really where most of this morning's message is going to be from. So you can turn to Acts chapter 11. We're going to bounce back to Acts chapter 1 towards the end of this morning's message. But we're going to begin in Acts 11 as we... As we continue our study on the church called Ecclesia. And this morning we're going to learn that the, the church, the New Testament church, uh, was a church that was extended by missionaries. That is, the church grew, the church spread out, uh, the church continued its ministry all around the world through the work of missionaries. Now, the first missionaries were not really missionaries, they were apostles. That word apostle means someone who is sent. And so the apostles in the, in the New Testament were people that were sent personally by Jesus. Um, these were specific people. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul had to argue for his apostleship because he was not one of the original disciples who were with Jesus <clears throat> during his ministry, but he was someone, uh, he would describe himself someone uh, born at the wrong time, basically, because he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. But Paul and the apostles were a distinct group of people. Uh, when you hear people today talk, call themselves apostles, it can be really confusing. Uh, because the, the office of the role of an apostle today, the, the person of an apostle is not something that has continued. Because now the church has been formed. And so the church is actually God's sending agent uh, throughout the world. And so as the church goes forward, forth and ministers to people, the church carries the authority of the Great Commission from Jesus and the authority of God's Word. Does that make sense? And so, uh, but some people today will claim to be apostles sent by God and they will claim that what they say, uh, the message that they deliver, uh, trumps Scripture. Like that it's new revelation given. Don't listen to those people. All right, uh, back in the New Testament days, there were people like that as well who claimed some type of apostolic authority but were not actual apostles of Jesus. Now, even though they're not apostles today, there are people who are sent, but they are sent by the church. And so today, we, we, we're going to understand, I, I hope, and, and apply this fact that, that missionaries are an extension of the church. They go places that, that most people in the church will not go. They do, play, they do things and they minister to people that, that most average people will never reach or interact with. They have to study. They have to learn languages sometimes so that they can share the gospel in a, in a different tongue. And so what we want to do as, as a church is we want to be the type of church, like the New Testament shows, that supports missionaries and that supports missions and that mobilizes missionaries as well. Do you agree? Amen. I believe that the greatest need for every human being is to be saved. Do you believe that? The greatest need is of salvation. The greatest problem in our world is not war, it's not abortion, it's not the economy. The greatest need of every human being is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ because every human being has the same ailment and that is we all have sin. 
No one has been untouched by the problem of sin, the sickness, the disease of sin. It touches every single human being, and God cares about every human being. The greatest need of every human being is salvation because the, great, this, the same problem is shared by every human being, which is sin. I also believe that God is a salvation sender. That is, that He doesn't create human beings with the means within themselves to be saved. You believe that? I believe that. Why? Because the Bible says so. The Bible says that whosoever believes, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how will they believe in whom they've not heard? That's a huge statement. That means that people don't have it within themselves. I don't have it within myself. You don't have it within yourself to become right with God. We don't have it. We don't possess it. So God has to send the word to people, the word of salvation. God, I believe, is a missionary God. He is a sending God. He is a helping God. Do you agree? If God is a missionary God, then we must be, as his people, a missionary people. We must be a going people. We must be a sending people. We must be a helping people. We must be a people about bringing salvation to people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, you will not find the word missionary. But you will find the concept of helper. It's that word azer. The Lord is my help is throughout the Old Testament. One Old Testament writer writes, I will lift my eyes up to the mountains. From where does my help come? My help, he answers himself, comes from the Lord, maker, the maker of heaven and earth. When we look up in our time of need and we, and, we, and we repent and we come to the end of ourselves and we ask the Lord, where is my help? God is the type of God who doesn't stand in the corner with his arms crossed. He's the type of God who sends us help. Has he sent you help in your life? You heard the teenagers last week give their testimonies about camp. What is your salvation testimony? Is there a time in your life where God has sent you somebody to help you? Someone to share the gospel with you? You can testify that it didn't come from within yourself, did it? No, God in his grace and his mercy sent someone with the gospel to preach, to teach, to share it with you personally maybe. God is a God who helps Helpers are always sent. They are not discovered by the needy. It's not as though one day we wake up and we discover, oh, all this time I have the, the intellect, I have the illumination to know who God is and what he wants to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. No, it's God who has to move toward us because he loves us, because he's merciful. Psalm 46, 1 talks about God's omnipresence, that he's always near us to help us. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. But most of the times, God's help comes from God sending a helper, sending a messenger or a missionary. 
Romans chapter 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. That is, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Beautiful feet. Missionaries have beautiful feet. Now, not physically, of course, right? Their feet are probably the ugliest feet you will ever see. Throughout the centuries, those missionaries who came around the mountain bend, who came through the pass, who came all the way to Arizona 150, 200 years ago, before anybody was here, before any churches were here, or any cafeterias for that matter where churches met, there were people who came to Arizona and had dirty feet and who made a home here to share the gospel with Native Americans in Arizona and with people who were traveling from the east on their way to San Francisco, California during the great gold rush. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Their feet are beautiful because of the message they bear. Besides the apostles in Matthew 29, 18 through 20, you'll know that is the great commission, right? Acts tells us that the first disciples on mission were Saul, also known as Paul, and Barnabas. We find this in Acts 12. In Acts 12, verse 25, this is the only time that at least the New American Standard Bible translates the word mission in the New Testament. It's found two other places in the Old Testament. If you remember our study from a couple of years ago when we went through 1 Samuel, there was a man named Saul, not the same Saul that we're going to be talking about today, but a man named Saul, the first king in the Old Testament, Old Testament Israel. And he is given a mission to go and to defeat the enemies of the Israelites and to completely obliterate everything and not bring anything back. And he decides that he's going to keep some of the stuff he was supposed to destroy in worship to the Lord. He kept it for himself because he thought it was valuable and he wanted it for himself and for God's people. And so he lied to the prophet Samuel and he said, I did go on the mission that God sent me to so that word mission is used twice there in 1 Samuel. It's not used anywhere else except here in Acts chapter 12 verse 25 which says, and Barnabas and Saul, a different Saul, and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John who was also called Mark. So if this is the case, if we only find the word mission in the New Testament, why do we have missionaries today? This has been an argument of many people o- over the, the centuries. The great missions movement that, that began in the late 1700s and early 1800s and as Baptists and Methodists and other Protestant denominations started to flood the western frontier and start small Bible studies in people's homes. These were not, most of them were not seminary trained preachers and teachers. They were, they were lay elders of churches in the eastern United States, mostly New York and Pennsylvania, places like this, and New Jersey. They were lay people who came out to the west and they had a Bible and they had some Bible knowledge and they had some theology and that was it. And they started sharing the gospel with people. And as the churches started to grow... Other churches would grow and they would say, we need to send more people. We need to send more missionaries. How are we going to support them? 
And so many of these denominations, especially the Baptists, put together these systems to where multiple churches could support missionaries together. So they would pool their support and they would form mission boards or mission societies. Wealthy people would give thousands of dollars to these missionaries so that they could go to the frontier and share the gospel with people. And it was just enough money to keep them fed on a daily basis. People would come together and and throughout time what happened was is that there were many churches who they didn't like this idea of mission work. They became known as anti-missionary churches. Because whenever you cooperate together, there is always going to be some type of bureaucracy that forms, right? When you say, hey, we need to elect a group of people who are going to take care of us, take care of this mission endeavor, and we're going to give money to it, and we want them as a board or a group or whatever to take care of this. They're formed in the early 1800s, an anti-mission movement, because they would say, we don't find the word missionary in the New Testament. It's true, you don't find the word missionary in the New Testament, but you do find churches on mission being sent by the church, apostles, messengers, is usually what you will find in the New Testament in the book of Acts, messengers who are going from church to church and who are going throughout the land, the Roman Empire, making disciples. And so I want you to see this morning how missionaries were extended by the New Testament church and how they are extended today by the church today. So this word mission is used in Acts 12.25 to talk about just a simple task that, that Paul and Barnabas were sent on. Now, we go back to chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, to see what this mission actually was. So if you're turning your Bible to Acts 11, 29 and 30, Paul and Barnabas are at, excuse me, at the church in Antioch. There's a church in Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem. And then there's a church in Jerusalem. And in these churches, there are elders. There are leaders. But there's a group in Jerusalem and in Judea of very, very poor believers. And so the church in Antioch decides to send Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem with a contribution for relief of the poor. That was their job. Verse 29, in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. That was their mission. That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? The church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas to go to the church in Jerusalem with a contribution of funds. They took up a collection. There were wealthy people in Antioch and they gave and they said, go and bless our brothers and sisters in Judea. Isn't that beautiful? That's one of my favorite things about being a Christian is being a part of the channel of blessing that you see within the church. When God's people give and they give generously. I can't tell you the blessing that has been. This has been the greatest blessing in my entire ministry to be a church planter, to be a missionary. And, and we receive cards, over the last seven years we've received cards and letters from churches all across the United States, some of them we've never even heard of, 
saying, we're praying for you, we're praying for your family, we're praying for Grace Fellowship Church, people you've never met, from small churches in rural America, people you've never seen, you've never heard of, but they've heard of you. And they pray, and they give, and they've supported us. It's a glorious thing to be able to see the generosity of God's people through missions giving. So it came about <clears throat> through a benevolent church, Antioch, that had enjoyed a year of growth following Stephen's persecution and death. We learn that through Acts chapter 11. I want to rewind you. This is so beautiful. Back to verse 19. So if you turn in your Bibles to Acts eleven nineteen, we get to see what happened here. says, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. That's important. You need to mark that in your Bible. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord, and the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Verse 25. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about for an entire year. They met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. He goes down verse 29 and 30, which we already read. So what happened? Stephen is killed. You remember Stephen was martyred. He was stoned to death. He preached the gospel, one of the most powerful messages ever preached in the history of the church. Stephen just lays it all out there. As, as sort of a, a, a state's prosecutor for all of Israel. They're angry that he's preaching Jesus and they stone him to death and he dies. And there's this great fear that sweeps across the land. And so the, the, the church, the disciples are, are scattered you know, whenever bad things happen, I'm going to take a seat because I might pass out in a minute. You've got to take a breath. I'm getting too excited. Sometimes whenever bad things, things that we think are bad, I'm definitely the martyrdom of Stephen was a bad thing, cause great fear in our hearts. And sometimes we wonder, what is God doing? How could he have allowed this to happen? What are we going to do now? Just from, a strategic, just from a strategic standpoint, one of the greatest preachers of the disciples is now dead. What's going to happen to the church? If God has said, you will be my witnesses in all these places, if he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age, and you take Stephen out, what do we have now? But what we discover here is that this is, the, this is the birth, this is how missionaries are motivated through hardship. Sometimes we think that missionaries are sent from, from countries and from 
uh, from times and from places of affluence. It's not the case. It can be the case. But most of the time, the missionaries throughout history that have gone to the edges of the earth have been missionaries who have, who have been sent in the midst of trouble and trial. And that's what we find here. Stephen dies, believers scatter to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. But we also discover that some of the ones from Cyprus and Cyrene go to Antioch and begin speaking to Greeks. Now this is strange for two reasons. Because look at what he mentions here in verse 19 and 20. Do you notice? The people that scattered went to three places, he says, mainly Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So if some of these people who were in fear and scattering were, if some of these people were going to Cyprus and some of those who were going to these three places were from Cyprus, what do you suppose the people that are from Cyprus would do? Go, to, go home. Wouldn't you? I would be tempted to go home. I would be tempted to go back to what I know. But we learn here that there are people who are from Cyprus who don't go home. They don't go to Cyprus. Where do they go? They go to Antioch. So here you have, here you have people who are not from the elders in Jerusalem. They're from Cyrene and Cyprus. And they're going to Antioch, verse 20 tells us, and they do something that they weren't doing before. You see what it is? They were sharing the gospel with Greeks. Up to this point, they weren't sharing the gospel with Greeks. They were sharing the gospel with who, does verse 19 tell us? Speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. And now we find these people in Antioch sharing the gospel with Gentiles. Then we learn that a large number of Greeks believed and turned to the Lord. See, this was the greatest, one of the greatest fears of the Jewish believers was that the Gentiles were going to believe a message with their mind, right, to give mental assent to something, but not to actually follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Is it not the fear that people have today when they share the gospel? But the Bible tells us very clearly, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed did what? Turned. A large number who believed also repented. It's the same formula that Peter gives in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. Believe and repent. Believe and repent. Are you here today and you have believed but you've not repented? You've believed the message and maybe you think, you know, I, I've heard the gospel of Jesus. I've, I've, I've come face to face with the, the claims of the Bible of who God is and who Jesus is. I believe that. There's something completely different than believing and continuing in your life the way you've always lived it and believing and turning. God doesn't call us just to believe. He calls us to believe and turn. 
to believe and repent. He invites you to do that if you've never done it. He calls you. He requires you to do that. You can do it today. Not just believe, but to turn, to repent. We see that that's what happened with these Gentiles. They believed and they repented. They turned. And then we find that Jerusalem sends Barnabas to learn more about this. They get word that Gentiles are coming to faith and they're turning. And so the Jerusalem elders say, Barnabas, we want you to go up to Antioch and check this out. Barnabas goes, he stays there for a year, he goes and gets Saul, he brings Saul there, who we also know as Paul. They spend a year there. And then after a year, they end up going back to Jerusalem with an offering from a church that is a mission, a missionary, and a missionary sending church. So, here are the things we notice. Number one, missionaries extend the church, write this down, by going to unlikely places. By going to unlikely places. We discover that in verse 19 through 20. These people from Cyprus who would have gone to Cyprus, but they did not. They went to Antioch. This is what missionaries do. They go to unlikely places. Uh, one of the greatest joys, I, I think, of, of being part of missions and giving to missionaries and supporting missionaries across the world is hearing uh, the testimonies of young people who feel called, who answer the call of God on their life to take the gospel to places around the world that I've never heard of. There are thousands still of unreached people groups around the world. Did you know that? Christian missionaries continue to translate the Word of God into foreign languages. There are still many, many languages and tongues, dialects that the Bible has not been translated into. People that don't understand English words like propitiation and atonement and salvation. They have no word for these things in their language. Do you know that most of the words in our English Bible that we build and extrapolate our theology on, these are words that were unknown to the English language until William Tyndale translated the, the Bible into English. Did you know that? You can go through your Bible and find English words that did not exist in the English language until an English speaker picked up the Greek New Testament and, and found Greek words that had meaning in the original Greek and said, how would we explain that in English? What does that look like in English? And these are words that if you read them today, you go, we never use that word in common English. But they have meaning. Some of them are kind of difficult to say. But the reason that we have them in our language is because people 
went, sent by the church to go to peculiar people, strange people, strange tribes with strange tongues. Missionaries extend the church by going to unlikely places, places that churches as a whole will not go. Now today we have the the blessing of globalization and the ability to travel. You can form a a mission team and jump on a plane and and land somewhere across the world, take an eight-hour drive into the bush, into the jungle, across mountaintops and, and reach people that normally would, it would be impossible to reach. The great abilities that God has given us in technology. And most of them we don't even leverage to their fullest extent, but we should. God has always, even since the very beginning years of the early church in Acts, he has been about going and sending his people to unlikely places. There are unlikely places that we send missionaries on a regular basis and that we should be praying for. We're going to get into that in a minute. Number two, missionaries extend the church not only by going to unlikely places, but number two, write this down, reaching peculiar people. Peculiar people. Now we know from Titus chapter 1 that there were rumors circulating about certain people groups. That there were certain people who had slang names attributed to them. There were stereotypes that were created about different people groups. Which hindered a person who was maybe from Cyprus to go to a place like Antioch. Sometimes there were places where people from Cyprus were not welcome. Cretans, the Bible says in Titus 1, were known to be lazy liars, deceitful people. There are people all around the world who have unfortunately enjoyed all kinds of racial smears and stereotypes that have kept God's people from reaching them. But missionaries break through all of that garbage because they know that every single human being is created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and worthy of receiving the gospel message. Do you believe that? This is why we send missionaries. This is why missionaries feel called to go. They get a burden on their heart, a call of God in their heart to go to a specific place to minister to a peculiar people that most people are either afraid of or just do not have a heart for. I thank God for those types of people. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with brothers and sisters in Christ, family members from Texas. Folks, we're just talking about the difference between humidity Can I get an amen? But I see people all the time. How are things going in Arizona? How are you surviving? Don't you miss home? Nope. I have a new home. And now I really hate the humidity. (laughs) I just think that's God's grace on us. But no, God, God gives you a heart for a peculiar people. God must put on your heart. We have a heart for people here in Maricopa. Do you have a heart for the people God is bringing and has brought to Maricopa? 
Folks, if we're gonna if we're gonna be successful as instruments in God's hands to plant a church here in Maricopa, we must continue to cultivate a heart for Maricopans. Do you have a heart for the people in your neighborhood? Peculiar people. Number three, missionaries extend the church also by modeling generosity. By modeling generosity. Now, some could argue, since the hub of the New Testament church was Jerusalem, Jerusalem had all the elders, Jerusalem seemed to have all the power, wouldn't everything benevolently come from Jerusalem? Not the case. You have this church in Antioch with a lot of new Gentile believers who are wealthy and don't hesitate for a moment to send money to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Now you could see this act a little bit more as benevolence than as foreign missions like the way that we do it today. But it's the same to me. The love of God flowing through the hearts of His people to others in different geographical locations with different needs Sometimes we, we are hesitant to give to the mission work of God because we, may, we might not understand what's going on there. The things are different in a certain place than they are in our own locale. Things don't work the same. We have to be very careful not to be uh, overly involved in policing our missions giving. We have to be very open-handed. This is why we have seminaries and Bible colleges. This is why we have church planter and missionary assessments to assess a person's calling. We want them to know the Bible. They want, we want them to be able to, uh, like an elder, like we discovered a couple of weeks ago, like an elder who is able to open up their Bible and guide someone in truth. They have to be apt to teach. They have to be committed to the Lord, to His people, to the gospel. And so we have all these different things. I want you to know that when you give here at Grace Fellowship Church, a major portion of your giving goes to not, not to prop up what we do here every Sunday, but a large portion of your giving goes out the door to support missionaries and church planters and mission endeavors all around the world. And we're very serious about the people and the, and the ministries that we give to. They are very well vetted. We spend time in prayer about those things and we trust the agencies and the people that we're giving to. It's not like when you go to a cash register and you buy something and they ask, would you like to round up for X, Y, or Z? I get that all the time. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's, it's a worthy cause. You know, some of the things I don't bat an eye at, and I go absolutely round up, but some, sometimes it's just something weird, you know? I don't even know what it is. You know what I'm talking about? There's an open-handedness that should, that should come with our missions giving, but that doesn't mean that, that we give indiscriminately. We give in wisdom and in prayer but we give generously. We have an open hand. 
We don't just do that in foreign missions, but we do that locally as well. We try to set an example here in Maricopa. We try to serve as much as we can here in Maricopa. And we want to do it better in the future. And then number four, missionaries extend the church by being commissioned by the church's power source, the Holy Spirit. If missionaries are an extension of the church, missionaries must operate the exact same way that the church does. And that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we get to chapter 13, now we've seen, we've seen how this started and how it evolved. It started with Stephen's death, his martyrdom. People are scattered, but with that scattering comes the sharing of the gospel among not just the Jews, but also among the Gentiles, the Greeks. And then we have the connection of the two churches in Antioch and Jerusalem. We have the generous giving and the mission that Paul and Barnabas are sent on from the church in Antioch to bring that offering to the church in Jerusalem. Then they return from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission. This is in verse 25 of chapter 12. And now we come to chapter 13, verse 1. Just going to go through this really quickly. But you need to pay attention to how this works. Verse 1, Now there was at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. Missionaries extend the church by also being commissioned in the same way as the apostles in the early church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this is what you could call a commissioning service. These men were commissioned by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told the church, you set apart for me these men for this task. And they laid hands on them and they prayed for them. This was a commissioning service. We do that today. We commission missionaries. We pray for them. We send them. That is, missionaries are not rogue figures. They're not people who are at odds with the church. Sometimes I meet people who, who are going about what they would call missionary work, sharing the gospel with people. They would call themselves missionaries or evangelists, but they are not commissioned by the church. They are at odds with churches. They've had bad experiences in churches and, and they haven't been reconciled to a church body, but yet they go out and they're doing ministry. That is not a healthy scenario. So when we partner with missionaries and church planters, this is a significant issue for us. We want to know what church is sending you. What church has commissioned you. What do they believe? What do they practice? But missionaries are extensions of the church. Now, I want to rewind as we prepare to close and wrap this up. I want to rewind to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
the beginning days of the church, Jesus said to his disciples, he told them in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. <clears throat> you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. For many, many years, the church has understood this to apply to geographical regions. And I believe that's true. Jesus is mentioning three geographical regions. Jerusalem is where the early church began. As you make your way out to Judea and Samaria, that's the outer region. And then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So you can, you can kind of think of a three concentric circle type of model. And Jesus says you're going to be by witnesses in all of these places. Not just here, not just in these two places, but in all three of these places. It was all encapsulating. And as we see the book of Acts unfold and the, the way the Holy Spirit moved and the way that the church grew, you see it, don't you? You see it happening in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. When we get to Acts chapter 13, what are Paul and Barnabas doing? They are sailing across the sea. They're not just traveling on foot. They are now extending the gospel to places that have never heard. That is a model that we use and that we're going to use. That is that the life, the mission life of our church as a whole, as a corporate body, we have specific areas of concern and specific areas of stewardship that we believe God has entrusted us with. He has placed us in Maricopa for a reason, right? If you want any other evidence that he's put us in a peculiar place, just look around you. We're in a, a cafeteria, right? We're not, we're not insulated somewhere where there's no people. We're in the middle of a, of a school, in the middle of a neighborhood, in the middle of a town, in the middle of a city. A burgeoning city at that. And so he wants us to minister to the people that are here here this is our Jerusalem your neighborhood your co-workers the people that are in close proximity to us Judea and Samaria we also involved in missions and church planting in our Judea and Samaria that is the greater maybe the greater Phoenix Valley metro area Arizona there is a unique flavor to Arizona do you know do you feel that and in even different regions in Arizona. When we were coming back from youth camp, we drove the way through Globe. Anybody ever been through Globe? Been through Globe, Arizona? You've been through the Salt River Canyon? My first time to go through the Salt River Canyon was a couple weeks ago. Wow. Breathtaking. We've been here for seven years. I've never been through the Salt River Canyon until last week, two weeks ago. Beautiful area. And in every little town, in every place, as I talk to pastors and people across the state, 
We have, there are different issues in, in each city, in each region. It requires different types of prayer and fasting and giving. There are different demands and we have to be familiar with those things. We can't just have the blinders on and just only be thinking of Maricopa, Maricopa, Maricopa. God wants us to be his witnesses, not just in Jer- Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria. But then also the uttermost parts of the world, places that you can't even imagine. People groups with, with codes of ethics that would blow your mind. Where we have missionaries that are, that are trying to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and put it into a language that, that people can understand and, and not try to westernize these people, but try to bring the gospel into their environment into which they live so that they can apply it and live by it and be saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and the, the gospel. And these missionaries have the feeling that, the same feeling that we should feel as we hold the rope for them, as we support them and pray for them. And that's the same burden that Paul had in Romans for I am obligated, I'm obligated both to Jews and to barbarians. I'm obligated to everyone. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. For it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Folks, I am not, and I hope you are not, our church certainly is not as a whole. We are not universalists. We do not believe that people who don't hear the gospel somehow will have a second chance. The Bible gives us no indication that this is the case. It actually tells us the opposite. That those who have the good news are given the task to share the good news and to mobilize the good news and to send missionaries and to be generous and open-handed so the people who've never heard can hear and believe because without the gospel, without the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, they have no hope. No hope. There is no plan B. And if the church... If the church doesn't get on fire for missions, then missionaries won't either. Missionaries come from the church. They extend the church. I want you to think about Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, not just for us as a corporate church body, but for you and your family as well. Because I think it's healthy to think about this in a geographical way, which is what we just explained, but then also a temporal way. That is your use of time and my use of time. Think of your Jerusalem as the people that you see on a regular basis basis think of the people that you see on a regular basis who do you see regularly think of them as your Jerusalem 
your first stewardship. Number two, who do you see occasionally in your everyday life? Who do you see occasionally? And then who do you see very rarely? You're on vacation to a place you're probably never going to return. Who are you going to rub elbows with when you're there? Who are you going to see? The concierge? Someone you're out hiking? You're at a restaurant? Who are you going to see that you might not ever see again? Where are the places that you go that you might ever might not ever return? Where are the places that you go, but you don't go there very often? Who are the people that you see? Think of those as your concentric mission fields as well. Focus on the bullseye first. Your family, your friends, your co-workers, that's your first mission field. Focus on them. They're your first stewardship. And then those that you see occasionally and then those you see very rarely. See, I believe that God has given our church a mission field, certain mission fields. But I also believe, and you've heard me say this time and time again, and I'll never get tired of saying it. Our mission field as a church is yours. Your mission field is ours. The church is not a building, is it? It's not an organization. It's a group of people. And every single one of us has a mission field that God has entrusted to you and to me. You're going to see people every day. You're going to see people maybe once a month. You're going to see people every year that I will never intersect with, I will never see, and vice versa, right? You have a mission field. We're here to help you, pray for you, link arms with you as you minister to them. And we want you to do the same with us. Together, as God's church, being missional, being missionaries, and extending the missional work of the church by praying for, by generously giving to, and mobilizing missionaries for his glory. Has God stirred your heart this morning? God has stirred my heart through this passage of scripture that we've been in. How will you respond? Maybe this morning you just, you need to pray. You need to just go before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I feel like you're calling me to do more but I don't know what it is. Maybe he's calling you to pray more. Maybe he's calling you to direct your prayers more specifically, to think more about how you pray. And you want to know more about the missionaries that we support and that we serve and those who, whose arms that we hold up on a continual basis. Maybe you want to be more involved with them. Maybe you, you want to pray more about going and being a missionary. Maybe God's just opening up your heart to even think and pray about that. You just listen to his voice as we pray and say yes to him, whatever he's calling you to do. Father, we pray, God, for your mercy again to come down upon us. As we lift up our voices in prayer, God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who seeks, that you are a God who sends. Father, thank you for redeeming our life from the pit. Help us to not become calloused to the fact that we would 
be eternally separated from you had you not put someone on a path to share the gospel with us. Let us every day be gripped by your grace. And Father, that we would be obedient to be mobilized. And if it's not for us to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, that we would generously give to those who answer the call and say, Lord, send me. God, that we would think about this morning, Father, the ways that you're calling us to be more involved as missionaries and as a church that extends the gospel ministry through missions. Father, I pray that if there's one here today who believes in you but is not turned, is not repented, Father, I pray that your grace would flood their heart this morning. They would turn from their sins and receive you as their their Lord and Savior. You would receive all the glory. Thank you for your word today in Jesus' name.